hunger for the Spirit of God because we know that is the only one that can truly satisfy. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the Spirit that satisfies God. We pray tonight that that Spirit would rest, rule, and abide in our presence. So we prepare to open up your word, God. We look to the one who's well able to satisfy our souls, and we simply have one request. Speak, Lord. Uh, God, as, as much as I've prepared and as, 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 as eloquent as Jeremy is, God, we have not come tonight to hear me and Jeremy speak, but God, we need your spirit. For as eloquent as and articulate as we may be, our voices don't change lives. But God, when you speak, transformation takes place. So tonight we call on the one that's well able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And we say, speak, Lord, in this place. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Let's praise God for Jeremy and uh, the worship team, Tom and Jasmine and Paul and Matt Eric. Well, how's everybody doing tonight? I really can't see y'all. Can we bring the house up just a little bit? Either that or my transition lenses are still dark. I don't know. Are they dark? We in the game? Okay, cool. All right. I want you to be able to see these big, beautiful brown eyes, baby. It's paid a lot of money for these. These are important. No. All right. Um, it's so good to be here tonight in Warehouse. We're in a series uh, called Songs of Experience, Singing the Blues. As we're walking through the Psalms, we're taking... Uh, some, some of, some very honest passages of scripture. When we see, uh, all the many writers of the Psalms just being honest and open and transparent before God. And, uh, it's, it's, it's honesty that's raw, that's not necessarily neat and not necessarily always resolved. Uh, many times when we come into a place like this, we think that everything has to be resolved. Everything has to have a nice, nice ribbon tied to it. But there's, there's some things about God that aren't resolved. There's some things in theology, there's some things that we read in these Psalms that's not nicely, uh, tied with a ribbon, but they're authentic, they're raw, they're fresh, they're real, and it's filled with joy, but also filled with pain. Kind of like a good blues song. A good blues song talks about the absolute worst tragedies of life, but there's also this innate, this, this joy that just kind of comes through blues music to where if you kind of listen to it and you get to rocking with it, it almost makes you feel better. It's like this guy is crying because he lost his dog and sad because his dog died. Dun, 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 my dog died. Dun, 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 I'm so tired. Dun, dun, dun. You know, he just, just going, I mean, and just, just the, the raw emotion that comes with losing your dog. I guess I never lost a dog. But, you know, there's, there's the raw emotion that comes with that. But then there's also this joy to where he's like, I'm just glad I had a dog to miss. You know what I mean? It's like the best and the worst. That's uh, a terrible illustration. Sorry. But um, work for me. I liked it. Um, but it, but it's, it's, it's this idea of just the best of the worst and this, uh, this ability to mix it all together as an expression of, hey, it is what it is. And I thank God. 
for whatever it is. As we look at the Psalms, we see this spirit and this attitude as they deal with the absolute worst things of life. We talked about anxiety. We've talked about guilt. And we've talked about it and we've seen it in a way to where these things happen to Christians. The question is, how do we respond to these things? And the, the writers of Psalms have expressed themselves in such an authentic and, and, and just honest way And we've just taken this summer just to look at these expressions. So tonight, we want to continue in this dialogue about singing the blues. Tonight, uh, we want to look at Psalm 27 together uh, as David writes and uh, continues another verse in this summer-long blues song. So if you would meet me in Psalm 27, we'll read this together as we start our time together. Psalm 27. Hear these words from David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. Verse 4, here it is. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle. He shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer up sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing yes. I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me. O God of my salvation, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Verse 14. So David closes and he says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Let's bring the house lights up just a little bit more. I can remember summers uh, down in Mississippi. A lot of my summers I would spend at my grandmother's house. And I would go to my grandmother's house And uh, we knew that regardless of what was happening in the world that week, that was a certain time in grandmother's house when everything stopped. I don't care what was going on. I don't care what was happening. That was a certain point when everything stopped. And that was when Matlock came on for the week. How many of y'all remember Matlock? Y'all remember Matlock? Matlock was this old dude. He's actually Andy Griffin. You know what I mean? I, I can't get it. 
That's nice. Look at that. I never could get my whistle quite right. I think my lips are too big. It's just too, it's a lot of moisture to get right there. All right, after service, we have to do a little whisper, a little sing-along, a little whistle sing-along. All right, okay, what was I talking about? Matlock. All right, so when I was growing up in my grandmother's house, we used to always watch Matlock. I mean, I don't care what was going on, the week stopped, and uh, we would all sit down and watch an episode of Matlock. Now, Matlock was this guy who always wore these seersucker suits, right? You think, now, Matlock is a lawyer, got a good job, he works every week. Why couldn't he buy another suit? You know, it's like... As, or maybe he got like a one suit in his contract. I mean, in the Andy Griffith show, he had on the same outfit. In Matlock, he had on the same outfit. Something there. I don't know what it is. Something there. All right. So um, maybe nothing there. All right. So um, so, so he would wear the same suit every week. And the case would be would be all about some person who's found themselves in this 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 legal drama. And and it's not just some normal legal drama. Matlock would always get connected with the people who the evidence has been stacked highly against them. He would find himself, he, he wasn't just a lawyer, but he was like an investigative lawyer. And he would find this person where the evidence had been all stacked against him. And this person had now been backed into a corner to where everything pointed against him. The decks were stacked against him. All the evidence said that it's over for you. You're done. And it puts them in a situation where they're forced to call out for help. They're forced to now reach out to someone because the, the, their fate is now out of their hands. They can't fix it. They can't resolve it. It's a problem that's now too big for them. So they look at it and say, this is a job for Matlock. And then Matlock comes into the scene and Matlock every single week would come in and begin to investigate, would begin to make phone calls, would begin to go and talk to people and walk up to people and ask these intriguing questions. And I don't care what it was. I don't care what the circumstance, what the situation was, what the trial was. At the end of every single episode, every single week, Matlock would always find the key to unlocking the case and Matlock would win every single week. I don't care what the case was, Matlock would always win the case. So you got to ask yourself, well, Albert, if Matlock won every week and you knew he was going to win every week, why did y'all watch every week? Well, see, you don't watch Matlock to see whether or not he's going to win. We all know he's going to win. We know at the end of every episode, Matlock is going to win. So we don't watch to see whether or not he's going to win. We watch to see how is Matlock going to pull it off this week. We know he's going to win. We just want to tune in and see how is he going to pull this back? How is he going to save this girl this week? How is he going to figure this case out this week? How is Matlock going to do the job this week? As we look at Psalm 27, David opens up and he's almost telling a testimony and he's attributing Matlock like attributes to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, uh, God, 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 God has set David up and he talks about the, the greatness of God, but also he paints the scenarios of times when he's been faced with great tragedy. He paints scenarios when times when he had been pushed in, in the corner and when the decks had been stacked against him. Watch it. Read it with me. Uh, uh, Psalm 27, verse 1, it says, The Lord is my shepherd. I mean, no, it isn't. It's Psalm 24. All right. It's been a long day. The Lord is my light. Yes, he is. Hallelujah. And my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Here it is, verse 2. When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh. Wait a minute, dog. Did he just say, eat up my flesh? 
David is saying, there are folk trying to eat me, dog. There are folk trying to eat me. There are people trying to destroy me. There are people who are literally trying to take my life. He, this isn't some, some people that he needs to compromise with or he needs to have a negotiation with. These ain't folk that he needs to go and have a little meeting with a mediator. We got a little, a little disagreement. No, 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 no. These are people who are trying to take him out of here. You think you got enemies. You just don't like the girl across cubicles from you because she took one of your paper clips one time. David got folk that's trying to kill him. He's got enemies that are trying to destroy him. You got people sending you a little nasty email or rolling their eyes. He got people that want to eat his flesh, dog. He got folk trying to take him out of here. David says, when my enemies came to eat my flesh, to destroy me, they stumbled and fell. He said, when, when, when the armies, when the army of my enemies surrounded about me, now, now, now get the picture. You got people coming to eat him, and now you got an army surrounded around him. In camp, he's surrounded by the enemy. He says, the, the, the deck was stacked against me. All the odds were against me making it. All the odds was against my survival. The evidence pointed to my demise, to my destruction. If you looked at my circumstance, if you looked at my situation, you would say, this is it for David. It ain't going to be no Psalm 28 because Psalm 27, this guy ain't going to make it. If you look at all the evidence, it's here. The deck was stacked against him. But he said, in spite of my circumstance, in spite of how bad it was, I didn't lose confidence. I just looked at it and I realized, all right, I got an army round about me. I got people coming to eat my flesh. This is a job that's too big for David. This is a job that's beyond me. This is a job that's beyond my control. I can't negotiate my way, my way out of this. I can't use my power. I can't use any influence. This is a job that's too big for me. This looks like a job for God. This looks like a job for God. David had a way of looking at his storms, looking, looking at his storms and, and, and seeing the beauty in them. Doesn't that sound crazy? He had a way of, of looking at his storms, looking at the storms, not, 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 not weather storms, but the storms of life that come. Anybody ever had any storms of life in here tonight? I'm, I'm talking about the storms of life. He had a way of looking at the storms of life that would come. And in those storms, he can see opportunities for God. He, he, he could see a storm and say, now this looks like a job for God. And he would call on the God of his Savior. And that's why it says, though an army may encamp against me, verse 3, my heart shall not fear. Watch this. He says, though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. David, how are you confident when you have war rising against you? How are you confident when you're surrounded by your enemies and they want to destroy you? They want to eat up your flesh. How are you confident? He says, because in the, in the perfect storm, in, in a real good storm, you have a divine opportunity to see the strength and the greatness of God. Perfect storm, perfect storm. It's, 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 it's perfect. It, it doesn't come from the word perfectus, which, 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 which deals with this idea of uh, of, 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 of without blemish or without failure, without problem. It's not this idea of, of just complete perfection without imperfection. It's more so this idea of, of teleos. It's this idea of perfection in the sense of fully completing that that you were designed to fulfill. 
It's this idea of being mature, being whole, being complete, completing that that you were designed to do, fulfilling your purpose. It's this idea of carrying out your God-given purpose. Tonight I'm talking about perfect storms. I'm talking about God-allowed storms, God-intended storms. Uh, I'm talking about a teleos storm, Matt, a, a, a storm that comes with purpose. A, a, a storm that comes to, to, to provoke maturity, wholeness, and completeness in your life. Perfect storm. A storm that comes in its design to show forth the greatness of God. I'm talking about when the decks are stacked against you in your life and when the odds are against you making it, when all evidence points to your demise, your ability to look at this teleos, this God-like, this perfect storm and say, this looks like a job for God. How do you know it's a job for God? Because you can't fix it. It's beyond you. It's out of your control. You can't negotiate your way out of this one. You can't use your influence to come out. There's some things that you can handle on your own. There's some problems that will hit your life that you can handle. You can make a phone call, uh, uh, do, do a couple of little deals, and you can handle it. But there are some things in your life that will slap you in the face, that will catch you so hard and so off guard that it would be beyond, the, it would be beyond your control to try to fix out of you, out, way out of your influence. And what I'm saying, those are the storms that haven't caught God off guard. God isn't sitting up watching Matlock and, and all of a sudden a storm hits you and he's like, oh, oh, a storm just hit her. I didn't even know that was coming. No. He knew the storm was coming before you were created. He knew, the, he, he knew the very thing that you're struggling with now in your life. He knew that this very trial, he knew that it was coming. And watch this. He's already prepared you for it. That's what David is saying. He's saying it's, it's not that the storm in heart, it's not that this isn't difficult, but it's that I've got a God that's created me and designed me and already prepared me for this. So I will not be afraid. I will be confident. Why? Because the Lord is my light and he is my salvation. In the time of trouble, he's my protection. He's my hope. This is beyond me anyway. So I look at my storm and I say this. Looks like a job for God. <laughs> and and, when, and when, 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 it's, when the evidence is stacked against me, and when all the, all the cards say it's going to be my demise, I look at it and I say, well, shoot. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this one. I'm just going to watch and say, how is God going to bring me out this time? How, how is God going to deliver our relationship this time? How, how is God going to restore me this time? Because I can't do it. This looks like a job for God. There's a story that Tony Evans tells all the time. It's about this couple who goes on this cruise ship. And uh, one night they experience some very rough waters. And uh, they're, they're pulled off the deck. The captain calls in all hands and he says, everyone must go to their cabin. So they're pulled off the deck. They can't pull out of the dining room. And the last thing you want to do if you're going on a cruise is shut down the dining room, Right. You, you, you don't want to do that. Uh, but they shut down the dining room. They pull people out the pool. Chef pull, pull people out the casinos and all that stuff. And said, go to your room for the rest of the night. Because the, 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 the captain is going to need to really be able to focus to navigate this ship through this rough waters. And he doesn't want anybody to get hurt. So everybody goes to their room. And there's this one couple, man. 
Her husband's in there, and she's sitting in there, and she's sitting on the bed, and she's just irritated. You can just tell. She's just frustrated. And every hour that goes by, I mean, it's 1130, 12 o'clock. Oh, Lord, I missed the midnight buffet. I'm frustrated. She's frustrated. So she eventually, she, she, she says, enough. And she calls the captain's office. And she, she says, I'm, I'm, I'm about to call the captain and see what's going on. So she calls the captain, picks up her phone, calls the captain's office. She says, hello, I want to speak to the captain. Uh, the captain's assistant picks up the phone and says, uh, ma'am, um, the captain is busy navigating the ship through, uh, through, through, through these rough waters. Uh, is there anything I can do for you? No, you can't do nothing for me. I want to talk to the captain. I got some things that I want that I've got, that I got to do straight. I got some problems. I got some complaints that I need to give to the captain. She said, well, ma'am, well, if, if you would give the complaints to me, I guarantee you that I would take them and go and give them to the captain. She said, okay. So she, she starts going off. She says, first of all, I didn't spend all this money to spend the whole night in my room. So when can we come out of our cabins? I ain't saved up all summer for me to be locked up in my room tonight. I didn't miss the midnight buffet and everything. So I need to know how long we got to stay in our room. Secondly, I want to know, does the captain even know what he's doing? What school did he go to? Is this his first cruise? Is this his first time ever going out in the water? What, what are his credentials? Does he know what he's doing? She's just saying all this crazy stuff. And the lady is like, yes, ma'am. Okay, does he know what he's doing? Okay, all right, I got it, I got it. So she's just taking notes. She says, okay, well, because I don't, I spent all this money and I'm frustrated and I want to get out of my cabin. I want to, I want to get out. So I want to know how long we got to be in this room and I'm ready to get out of here. And I didn't spend all this money and I want to see some, I want to see a resume or something. Let me know and he know what he's doing. So goes off. She says, well, okay, well, ma'am, I'm going to take these concerns to the captain and we'll, we'll get back to you. So hang up the phone. Uh, and the husband is just sitting there shaking his head like, oh, Lord, I can't believe she just called and went off on the captain, you know. So uh, the phone rings, and it's the captain's office. Calls back like in five, six minutes. Phone rings. She picks up the phone. Hello? She says, hello, ma'am. Uh, this is uh, the, the captain's assistant. I, I called you back with a response from the captain. She's like, oh, she's kind of surprised. She's like, okay. Well, what, what did the captain say? She said, well, ma'am, uh, in response to your complaints, he has two uh, responses to you. One of two responses. First, he wants to say, go to bed. Uh, uh, go to bed, ma'am, he says, because uh, he is going to be up along with his crew all night navigating through these rough waters. And there's no sense in both of y'all being up worrying all night. So he says he'll stay up and you go to bed. And he says, secondly, ma'am, not only does he want you to go to bed, but he wants you to rest easy. He wants you to rest easy not only because he's qualified uh, and he's fully prepared to navigate these through these rough waters, but he says he wants you to rest easy because when the engineers designed this ship. He wants you to know that this ship was meticulously designed. Every corner, every crack, every crevice. This ship was designed with storms like this in mind. So you can go to bed and you can rest easy because this ship was designed with this storm in mind. When I think about how life can become frustrating and in those very frustrating moments, sometimes we want to call up to Captain Jesus. And we want to ask stuff like, God, how long am I going to have to wait? How long am I going to have to deal with the stuff that I'm dealing with? God, how long are the issues in my life going to continue to present? How long is this storm going to last in my life? God, how long am I going to have to struggle? How long am I going to have to go through? How long am I going to have to deal with some of these same anxieties, some of the same guilt, some of these same hurts? God, how long am I going to have to deal with it? And if we would be real honest tonight, if we would just take the mask off here in warehouse, we would say that there are times we want to say, God, do you even know what you're doing? 
Because God, my life is so jacked up right now. And it seems like my situation is so complicated right now. I even wonder if I'm praying to the right guy. See, I know we're not supposed to have that kind of honesty in church, but I figured I might as well tell the truth. Sometimes we wonder if we even got, if we all even, if we're even on the right team. If this is the right guy that we should even be praying to, is this, the, is, this the, is this the only option? Because I'm not hearing nothing, I'm not getting nothing, I'm not getting any response. Am I even praying to the right God? Is this even the right one that I should be talking to? Sometimes we want to know, do you know what you're doing? And I can just hear the Spirit of God speaking through the Scriptures to you and I tonight. Saying, go to bed. And rest easy. Because when the creator of the world, when he blew breath in your body, he designed your life. When he looked at the blueprint of your life, he designed your life with this storm in mind. When he engineered your body, when he engineered your life, when he looked at 2007 and when he looked at 2008 and even when he planned out your year 2009, he knows exactly what he's doing and he is fully aware of everything that you're going through and he wants you to know that he will not put more on you than you can bear. He designed you with this storm in mind so you can go to bed and not only go to bed, but friend, you can rest easy knowing that in him all things to work will work together for your good knowing that in him greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world knowing that in him he will never leave you nor forsake you you can go to bed and rest easy because God has a plan for your life go to bed rest in him trust him even when you can't see him trust him because he has a plan for your life. Perfect storm. Perfect storm. A storm that's designed to show forth his glory, to show forth his strength. You got to be able to look at the crazy stuff in your life. I mean the crazy stuff. The stuff that you don't talk about. The stuff that you ain't sharing in your small group. The stuff that you ain't getting prayer requests for. The stuff that you don't say when people ask you how you're doing and when you lie and say, I'm doing just great, just so good. I'm talking about the stuff that you don't talk about. I'm telling you, even in those things, you got to be able to look at them and say, this looks like a job for God. And let me tell you, it's not a question of if he's going to work it out. It's not a question of if he's going to come through. Only question you got to ask is, how is Jesus going to get me out of this? How is God going to save the day this time? Secondly, not only the perfect storm, but the perfect request. Verse 4, David says, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. He, it's almost as if he said, one thing I desire, and I'm willing to work for it. I'm willing to do what it takes to get it. You know, you, you, you know David was a very complex character. David, I love David. I love seeing people like David in the scripture, because David was an adulterer, a murderer, and a liar, and God still liked it. That lets me know that there's hope for a brother like Albert Tate. If David can make it, oh, I got some hope. Keep hope alive, brother. I got some hope. You know what I'm saying? A little shout out to Jesse. Jesse's been struggling this week in the news. He needed a little, needed a little help. That's all I say about that. Rewind. All right, let's bring it back in. All right. So David, man, David, 
You, you look at David and, you, and let's say we want to hire a pastor. You call David. David probably wouldn't even make the, make the, make the, uh, the interview process. You start looking at some of David's stuff. And then the first time, even if he did make it through the interview process, you ever read about David's kids? David's kids was crazy. I mean, David's kids, you st- I mean, just study Dave- David's kids was sleeping with each other, man. Just right. Ra- I mean, it's just crazy. So as soon if he made it through the interview process, once you invited the family over for dinner, it'd be like, oh no, ain't no way in the world he getting a job. Did you see his son? Crazy. You know what I mean? But even in scripture, when God begins to hand out compliments, he says about David, crazy family, crazy kid, David. He says, now David, David was a man after my own heart. He said, David was a man that was after me with his whole heart. So when you think about David, when you see a guy like that, when you think about a guy like David, you got to ask yourself the question, what does a guy like that pray? I mean, I, I went to, to Wesley Bible College and we look at John Wesley's journals and we look at his prayers all the time. So you really look at a guy like David, you want to know what is a guy like that with a relationship like that? What, is, what, what, what does he say to God? What's his prayer request look like? David said, I pray one thing, one thing. David said, I got one desire. One thing have I desired, not a list. Not a whole lot of things. He says, one thing have I desired, and that will I seek after. Here it is. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David said, if I got to go through storms, I got to go through storms. If I got to deal with enemies, I got to deal with enemies. But God, one thing I got to pray. If I got to deal with all of that, I can't deal with it by myself. God, I have to have your presence. See, David knew how to pray in the perfect storm because he had the perfect request. He realized that regardless of what the storm is, regardless of what the trial, regardless of what the tribulation, as long as I go through it with God, as long as I'm not standing by myself, as long as God is by my side, I can handle the storm, I can handle my enemies, but I can't handle being without God. One thing have I desired, and that will I seek after. If i got to work hard for it, i work hard for it. But God, I want to dwell in your presence. I want to be where you are. I can't go through this storm by myself. One thing have I desired. God, I got to be with you. I don't care what your storm is today. I don't care what you're going through. I challenge you. According to David's passage, I challenge you. Pray one thing. God, I got to go through it with you. I can't afford to go through these storms by myself. David could have prayed anything. David could have prayed, God, let's, how about we cancel the storm for the day? God, how about we just say, hey, sunny weather today, no storms. How about that, God? How about, how about you say to my enemies, y'all just die, okay? How about they ain't got to eat me up? How about they can just go get some pizza or something? They ain't got to eat me. How about that, God? How about we pray that? I thought that was pretty funny. Y'all didn't have to think that was funny. I thought that was pretty funny. Especially the voice and everything. I just thought that was funny. He could have prayed all that, but he said no. Because I realized that a part of this, a part of this thing of following you, it means that there will be storms. So I'm not going to pray that the storm ends. I'm just going to pray that you walk with me through the storm. Friends, some of you have been praying that the storm would end talked about this last week. Some of you pray that God will just change my circumstance, just change my storm. He may not do that. Maybe he just wants to change you. Maybe he doesn't want to change your circumstance. Maybe he wants to change you. 
See, because you can, you can be in a marriage that's falling apart. You can be in a, in a marriage that's not working and you just saying, God, it's just, just change my wife. Just change it. Just change it. As a matter of fact, if you got to, take her. Take her away. Take her away. You know? I know you, I know, don't laugh too hard because I know you don't want her to know you prayed that prayer one night, but let me tell you, sometimes it get rough. I ain't never prayed it. You know what I mean? But I'm saying, I know people do. I got friends. I got friends. You know what I mean? Sometimes you think it's easy to get out of it. It's easy to take it away. God says, no, I'm not going to change your spouse. I'm going to change you. I'm going to change you. I'm not going to change your kids. I'm going to change you. I'm not, I'm not even going to change your job. I'm going to change you. I'm going to change you. A guy named Thomas A. Dorsey. Thomas A. Dorsey. Uh, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, was a phenomenal jazz musician, traveled all across the world playing jazz music, uh, the secular uh, jazz musician. He would later in life become the father of gospel music. He would become the father of gospel music. But early in his life, he was a secular jazz musician. And it's interesting how this transition took place in his life, how he went from being the secular great musician to becoming the father of gospel music. The year was 1932, and his wife named Nettie was about to give birth to their first child but while in labor Nettie died not only did Nettie die but their son died and Thomas A. Dorsey instead of going and drowning his sorrows in a bottle of alcohol uh, Thomas A. Dorsey instead of going and trying to numb his pain with drugs Thomas A. Dorsey went down on his knees, grabbed a pen, and wrote these words. He says, precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on. Let me stand. I am tired. I am weak. I'm alone. Through the storm, through the rain, lead me on. Help me to stand. Precious Lord, take my hand and lead me on. This will become the first gospel song ever written. And you know what Thomas was saying? He was saying, God, if I got to live without Nettie, if I got to live without my son, God, I can't live without you. One thing have I desired. Precious Lord, take my hand. If I got to live life without Nettie, if I got to live life without my son, God, I cannot live life without you. Take my hand. One thing have I desired. And I'm willing to fight for it. That I can experience your presence, God. And inquire in your temple. Because in the secret of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He, he, he shall hide me. It's, it's not that my enemies aren't there. They're still there. But I'm hidden in the presence of God. And when I'm hidden in the presence of God, there are places where my enemy can't go. There's places where the enemy can't come and capture me. It, it's kind of like Peter. Peter. Peter was on the boat. And I think we've talked about this. Peter was, Peter was on the boat. And Jesus. Jesus was out in the water and Peter said to Jesus, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. And notice it wasn't a fight in the boat to try to get out first. They wasn't like, oh, oh, let me go. Let me go. No, Peter was the only one that stood up. The other disciples was like, you go ahead on first, dog. We just going to lay back and watch you. You don't see what happened with you and your walk. You know, Peter steps out looking at Jesus. And he's, he's walking on water. 
Peter is doing the impossible thing. Peter is walking. He's looking at Jesus and walking on water. And all of a sudden, the storm began to rise. And, and out of fear, he looked at the waves. And he looked at the wind. And Peter, who was just doing the impossible thing, now began to sink because he took his eyes off Jesus. And he started focusing on the storm. Some of you have trickled in this place tonight. And if you were to be honest, you're in this place and you're sinking. Because you're going through a storm, but you hadn't fixed your eyes on Jesus. You hadn't focused on the one that can truly save you, but you're focused on the, on the storm. You're focused on the money. You're focused on the problem. You're focused on the issue. And I'm telling you tonight, if you focus on Jesus, you'll be able to do the impossible thing. You'll be able to walk through your storm and be covered under the shelter of God. Perfect storm. David made the perfect request. Finally tonight, perfect response. Verse, verse 14. David closes this psalm and he says, wait on the Lord and be of good courage. Basically, David says, wait on the Lord, but don't do it with an attitude. Don't do it with an attitude. It's kind of like, it's kind of like husbands, hus- all, all, all the husbands in the house make some noise. Right, come on, fellas. We tried this last week. Come on, dog. All the listen, boyfriends and husbands, all the boyfriends and husbands, make some noise. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. Okay, let me say this. If you got a real fine wife, make some noise. Yeah. All right, there we go. There we go. You better yell with that. She'd be like, oh, yo, yell wasn't loud enough. You know, okay, all right. We did that last week. Come on now. It's like, fellas, if, you, if you're at the house and you're waiting on her to get dressed and you're in a hurry, ready to go somewhere, and it's, you know, you're already a few minutes late and she's back in the room doing extra stuff. You know, it's stuff that we think is extra, but she thinks it's necessary, you know. She's just doing all this kind of stuff. And we, she's just back there just doing stuff. And you're like, uh, you waiting on me, honey? Yeah, I'm waiting. Come on. Just, you know, David says, don't wait like that. If you're going to wait on the Lord, don't, don't, don't wait with an attitude. Don't wait with an attitude. And if you're really young and dumb and ain't been married long, you, you might do something stupid like this. When she walk out, you would be like, I waited all this time for that. If you do that, don't even worry. You might want to stay at home. Don't even come to church. Just, just, just be like, all right, we're we just going to stay here. I need to rub your feet or something because I just put my foot in my mouth, all right? David says, don't wait with an attitude. He says, wait and be of good courage. Because when you wait on God, watch what happens. It says, and he will strengthen your heart. When you wait on him. He'll give you strength. As I thought about this message tonight and I thought about how how to paint a picture of what I really see David saying in the scripture. There's a story that I found and and the story is a great story, but it's not necessarily my point is necessarily about the story as much as it is. There's an image in the story that paints clearly what I see God doing to respond to our need. It's, It's like a type of Christ in the Old Testament. When we talk about we talk about this idea of types of Christ, and that basically means if Christ was in this story, he would be doing that. If Christ was in that in in this story, this is what he would probably do. I want us to look, and in this story, as we watch this video clip, I want you to take time and look for the type of Christ and how he responds to our area of need. 
In a small town in the middle of Washington State, on a field inside a chain-linked fence, in a game fewer than a hundred people saw. A home run memorable not for the distance it traveled, or the game it decided, but for the meaning it carried. The last Saturday in April, the second game of a softball doubleheader between Central Washington and Western Oregon. Well, we were both neck and neck fighting for the conference championship. As a senior, this was Sarah Tukolsky's last chance to win a championship. She'd never hit a home run before, not in college, not in her life. A 5-2, I'm not very tall. Um, I, I'm more a line drive hitter. I don't hit for power. But in the top of the second inning, with two runners on, on the second pitch, that changed. that pitch and it just went <laughs> and we're just cheering and the runners are cheering as they round the base to head to home and then I'm going where Sarah in her excitement Tukolsky failed to touch first base so she quickly turned back her pivoting like just didn't pivot with her and I heard her kind of yell and she just dropped to the ground and I was like oh no just fell immediately and was in a lot of pain just you know I tried to keep my legs straight but I was in so much pain that I couldn't really keep still. Tukolsky with a torn ACL crawled back to first base. She was a long way from reaching home plate and keeping her first and only home run. When she got back to first base she just she laid there and she hugged on the first base and then I, at that time, I was staring at the base, and I go, what on earth are we going to do? And I turned the umpire standing right next to me. I said, what is the ruling if I put somebody in for Sarah? He said, it'll be a two-run single. If anybody would have on her team would have helped uh, Sarah, she would have been a called, called out. That was the problem. None of Tukolsky's teammates were allowed to touch her. That's when Central Washington's Mallory Holtman, a player with more home runs than any other in conference history, a player for the opposing team, spoke up. I went to the home plate umpire and asked if we could pick her up and carry her, and he looked at me a little strange. And the umpire went and said, yes, you can do that. I'm still standing there in shock. I don't, I said, thank you so much. We asked her, she's like, is it okay if we pick you up and carry you around the bases? And I say, yes, and you know, and say thank you. And she says, you hit the ball over the fence, you deserve it. For that reason only, because she deserved it, Holtman and Wallace began to carry the injured Tukolsky, stopping to touch her left foot on each base as the three made their way around the diamond. We actually started laughing because we were just wondering what this would look like to all the people in the stands. When I looked up, I I didn't see you know giant like smiles and screams. I saw emotion and tears and and people crying. It's a great moment when someone has character. 
to step up and do the right thing at the right time. It's emotional. You're proud. Be associated with those kids. That's the first home run of the season for number eight, Sarah Tikolsky. The fact is, you know, I I made my goal. I hit a home run, and um, yeah, it's my last at bat of my career. But I, you know, made my goal, so I'm proud of myself. Mallory Holtman, Liz Wallace, and the Central Washington team lost the game that day, four to two. Sarah Tukolsky lost the rest of her season and her career to a knee injury. But for the spirit of sportsmanship, a greater victory made on a long trot around the bases, a trip that truly touched them all. I have a lot of respect for her and put her in high regards, um, her and her teammates. And, you know, I can't thank her enough. Tom Rinaldi reporting. Yesterday, the final day of the season. As I saw that clip, and as I watched the two girls come and ask her that question, can I carry you? I said to myself, that's it. That's how God responds to our waiting on him. And friends, God wants to know in this place tonight, can he carry you? The... the in, in a room this size, everybody in here isn't in, in going through a storm. Uh, there's an old preacher that says, either you're in a storm, coming out of a storm, or on your way into a storm. I want to talk to those of you that tonight you find yourself in a storm. God wants to know, can he carry you? This thing is too big for you. If, if you could fix it, you would have fixed it a long time ago. If you could handle this one, you would have handled it a long time ago. If you could figure this one out, you would have figured it out a long time ago. This is a job for God. And he wants to know in this place tonight, can I carry you? Do you trust me enough to carry you through this storm? Do you trust me enough to carry you? through this season in your life, can I carry you? Tonight when you came in, you received a yellow slip of paper. There's a passage that I love in scripture, and it's this idea. It says, cast your cares on me, for I care for you. As Jeremy and the band, as they come up, we want to create a space for us just to respond to this message. And I want you to take the slip of paper and Nobody's going to read it. This isn't for public uh, uh, mass reproduction, but this is an opportunity for you to be honest with God, as David has been in this psalm tonight. If there are hard areas in your life that you want to give over to God, 
if you need him to carry you through some storms in your life, if there's some areas of struggle in your life, I want you to feel free to just write those things down. And then I'm going to pray. And as they begin to play music and as they begin to lead us in a time of just reflection and worship, I want you to feel free to come and lay these sheets of paper here on our altar. To carry out this scripture where it says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. It's, it's, it's a symbol of you taking the issues of your heart and giving them over to God. This isn't for people to read. It's an opportunity for us to be honest in this room, for us to be open in this room. It's an opportunity for you to say, Lord, yes, you can carry me. You can start by carrying some of the weights that we came in this room with. Let's pray together. God, I pray tonight that in this room we would have the freedom to be as honest as David has been in this psalm. God, I can't help but think about it in verse 13. He says, I almost lost heart. God, I'm convinced that there are people in this room tonight that have almost lost heart. I pray that this exercise would be more than just writing words on a piece of paper. But that we as brothers and sisters would be able to write the issues of our hearts down and hand them and cast them over to you. And tonight that we would allow you to carry us. So God, in these moments, I pray that we would have the strength and the courage to be completely honest with you. To be vulnerable. Most of all, to be willing to say, this storm is a job for God. God, I need you to carry me. In Jesus' name.